0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Brushwater's Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brushwater's Union, Simon Berman, and this month I am joined by the one and only Grégoire Bobolo of Dust1947, Dust USA, and formerly lots of other places like, uh, let's say, Rackham. So i got lots to talk about. Grégoire, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm pretty good. Thank you for having me today.
0: Yeah, I want to talk to you for ages, and we've been friends for a long time. We met back when I was at Privateer, and you were doing some... Uh, retail distribution stuff I think back then but uh, you've had you've had had quite the career
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I've been spending way too much time in the gaming industry now
0: yeah I think we all have but
1: uh, (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) yeah I mean I I think it's cool because you know um, I I guess you you, you're you're from France originally and uh, you've got some sort of insight into the the French miniatures world which is you know you know wasn't really a thing in the 90s and suddenly it became a a big pillar of of the miniatures industry and community going forward and that's some pretty cool stuff to talk about I think
1: Definitely, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and of course, these days you're doing, uh, you're working with Paolo Parente for Dust 1947.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm the the co-owner and manager of Dust USA uh, with uh, my wife Alicia, and with Paolo, uh, and we are the the official distributor of Dust 1947 for whole of America, basically.
0: So. Yeah, that's super cool. We'll definitely talk a whole bunch about Dust later, but. Uh to uh i also want to say thanks for being a member of the Borders union because it's always cool when we have industry people who are also fellow members
1: no uh, it's it's an idea that i loved from the beginning when you were still mulling the idea over and i'm really happy that we could uh, actually help the the union because i think it's exactly what the community needs right now so
0: yeah much appreciated yeah you know, if you're listening and you're a union member remember you get a a, a, a discount code on dust uh, usa purchases through their website so uh, check your uh Patreon stuff for that information, but uh, we can talk more about that stuff later too. But uh, yeah, so, Craig, tell me, how, how did you get into miniatures in the first place?
1: Oh, well, uh, I mean, like everybody my age, probably through HeroQuest, uh, I played with a friend, I basically, uh, so I lived on the R- Riviera, uh, and when the, the day was too hot that you couldn't stand on the beach anymore, we would just go back inside and play uh, board games. And at a point, uh, I had this friend that had HeroQuest, and it was an epiphany for me. I really, 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 really loved the game. Uh, I still believe that it's the best dungeon crawler ever made. Um, and so we played extensively uh, the, the game. Uh, I probably went up to Mission 12 uh, in one summer. So... Again, oh wow, yeah, it's really, we were really excited about it. Um, then I had a break, uh, with, with for example, one of my best friends showing me some miniatures for Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Uh, but I played one game, found it really weird, um, didn't really enjoy it at that time. Uh, but the, the real startup was in '95. I was in law school, and the guy on the bench next to me in the amphitheater was actually reading the codex for the Tyranids for Warmer 40K V2. And I loved the colors of the miniatures. Uh, I found them magnificent at that time. Uh, which is funny when you think about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they were beautiful for for, for the 90s. Sure. And um, and really, I, I loved it. So we started talking about it and he told me, oh, I have all the all the codices in, the, in in my house, so I will bring you some more tomorrow. And this guy became my best friend, became my roommate at a point. Uh, and we played together uh 40K because he also uh, gave me the first fix for free by buying me some miniatures and painting them for me. Huh. Uh, which created a very bad habit for me later. In the, in the <laughs> but yeah, it's a really. Uh, I started with Eldars because I really loved the the elf aesthetic of the of the army. Uh, they didn't look like potatoes like the Marines. Uh, it was pretty cool. And so yeah, the, I started like that in '95.
0: That's cool. And you were going to law school back then.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, how
0: did you make the transition from going to law school to working in the miniatures industry?
1: By accident, uh, when yeah. I... <laughs> so I, I was playing extensively and then I moved. Uh, when I finished law school, I moved to, to another town and in that town I was contacted because I was uh, one of the organizers of tournaments for another game that actually popped up uh, a little bit later called Confrontation. And so that was made by Rackham, uh, the, the French company. And they... I was one of their main organizers basically for the South and uh, uh, an association, a game association, a game club basically contacted me and said, we would like to organize this kind of event for this kind of game. Can you do it? So I was doing it and because we started really to be really big at a point I was invited by Rackham to become a demo guy for their booth uh, during a convention. Uh, that was the Mondial de la Maquette, which is uh, basically the Model Kit uh, World uh, Expo. Uh, that was pretty massive at that time. I mean, they had yeah. boats. They had uh, this mini lake in the middle of the convention center with oh, boats, wow. uh, with, uh, you know, remote control uh, boats and stuff like that. It was sure. really, it was really another size of thing. It was very impressive, and I was demoing actually a hybrid for them uh, for seven days in a row. And I was the only demo guy staying the, during the whole the whole week. And I it was really funny because the, the convention was lasting forever during the day. It was nine to nine every day. And right.
0: you say it's a twelve hour day and a seven day long convention.
1: Yes, yeah, and actually and actually, yeah. and actually, on Saturday it was 9 to 11 because there was a late night opening, So, wow. and, I did, and I did the whole thing, So, which was pretty funny because by the end of Saturday uh, at 11, my feet were genuinely bleeding. I can only uh, imagine. <laughs> but I demoed a, a boatload of hybrid. We sold a ton of it, and I became friends with the, the manager of the mail-order service for that company. And six months later, so that was basically in the middle of summer, and six months later for Christmas, he tells me my, my assistant is leaving for the, for the holidays. I need to replace her. Are you available? And I'm like, yep, um, I'm here because I was in Paris at that time and I was not doing anything. So I was like, why not? So I started as the, the assistant to the manager of the, of the mail order service at Rackham and then from there basically uh, i got promoted because they discovered that i could speak english and at that point it became critical in the company to have people that sure. could speak english and so they told me but now you're the you're the sales rep for every country that speaks english so that was <laughs> that made that made some fun days where i had to sell some products in australia and then sell them later in, in the us oh yeah so again it was a 7 to 9 day <laughs> So, yeah, it, it, it has been an interesting period of time. But yeah. yeah, I started like that and then it all went south.
0: All right. well, <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm, I'm really curious to hear more about what it was like working at Rackham because, you know, especially here in the US, Rackham was sort of this this legendary presence in miniatures gaming where, you know, they came out with all these incredible sculpts and this sort of exciting world um, for confrontation and hybrid later AT 43. And then it all sort of fell apart and vanished. But for for having really only been around for maybe seven or eight years, um, they yeah, made such, yeah. a, such a huge impact in miniatures wargaming. And like you know, they raised the they the elevated what was expected of paint jobs from professional companies and from hobbyists. And they they just did so much. I, I'm curious to hear about what it was like working there.
1: Well, it was very weird. I arrived at the end, okay? I worked there from Christmas 2005 to 2008, and then I worked a little bit freelance for Rackham Entertainment later, but just uh, just a little bit. But for Rackham itself, uh, it's a company that was built by basically by the sheer will of one guy that was a former sales rep for Games Workshop in France. Uh, one of their actually, he, until very recently, he still had the record of sales for Games Workshop in France uh very good uh very clever uh, very ambitious uh, and he built uh, Rackham it's uh, the name is Jean B. and he really built a company uh, on a few ideas and especially on confrontation he built the game on the fact that the rules should be in the blisters and that was revolutionary at that time yeah and so the cards were there but there was also a mini rule book in each blister that you would buy that would help you play the, the, the game immediately just by sure. buying two blisters. So that was the really the clever trick of, of Confrontation when it was released was that. Uh, but working at Rackham, it was a company with 80 employees. Uh, you had the painting studio, the writing studio, the layout and graphics. And then you had the the sales and the production because the company was producing their own metal and resin mm-hmm. uh, in-house. Um, the, the guys in charge of the mold uh, were absolutely insane and crazy uh, having fights with the molten metal uh, <laughs> to, 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 to genuinely building catapults to toss molten metal to one another from, a, from one side to another of the of the thing. I mean it was it was another time imagine. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was very different. so so yeah it was I mean it was exhilarating. Uh, it was intense. Uh, we were not treated right at all. Uh, uh, and it, was, it went south basically because at a point, they, I think they reached their limit of incompetence and they never wanted to relinquish the power. Sure. So, so that's what happened. But yeah, working for them was insane. As I said, uh, they just promoted me to a, a job that I've never done before, just because I could speak a, a foreign language and they promoted me in april and they told me end of may you're at origins end of august you are gen con and you have to train the demo guys you're gonna have to talk to the distributor which at that time was acd on explicit distribution Mm -hmm. so you're gonna have to talk to them and this is the the number that you need to do at the end of the month so it was very very like that yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, but at the same time i mean i made friends for life there uh and yeah, it was, it was, I mean, artistically speaking, the, the painters that are out of Rackham are still the best. The sculptors are still the best. Uh, they now work for various companies uh, and they are, I mean, every time you see a beautiful paint job or a beautiful miniature, it's probably by a guy that works for Rackham at a point or another. So
0: Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Actually, here's a question for you. It seems like, when Rackham really got off the ground, in part was was on the, the incredible skill and vision of their sculptors and painters. Um, and you, the industry really hadn't seen that collection of talent before. And why do you think that happened in France?
1: Oh, oh. There was always a culture of, uh, uh, a strong hobby culture, basically, in France. But But there's also a very cultural sense of elitism in that. And so when you paint, you have to get better or people will make fun of you. Okay, And so so really, it brings either it brings the best or it brings people that tell you I don't paint and I pay someone to do it. Sure. And so there's a little bit of that. But there's also the fact that really at a point, I think, uh, in the hobby uh, community in France, there was really a few talents that really pulled everyone uh, up. By teaching them, by uh, gathering and basically working together and having these meetings, where where they would like, you know, what we're gonna go to the to the Golden Demon and we're gonna show them what what's what, basically. Sure. So, and the first time actually French painters went to the Golden Demons, they took everything, like everything. And I remember people, hearing about that. Yeah, people were super pissed. There, there was yeah. even a group of, of three three painters from France that genuinely traveled to the US to also grab the. The prizes in, in the US, and I mean, they took everything. So. Wow! But yeah, I think there's a there's really a culture of art in France. Uh, sure. It's, it's promoted from school, uh, so so yeah, it, it helps people basically grab the paintbrush easier.
0: No, I suppose that makes sense. I hadn't thought about that because you know I think you know we have a big hobby painting culture in the US and the UK as well. Yeah. But the 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 emphasis traditionally was always on you know you had to paint to play. Not necessarily for the for the joy of painting in and of itself, and that, that sort of came along later to a certain extent. And you, you think that's the opposite in in France because of the the cultural norms?
1: I think so. And there's all, for example, for tournaments in France, uh, when you when you had a tournament where painting is compulsory, you don't just have compulsory painting; you also have a contest about the painting of your army. Sure. And from the very beginning, I mean, even when we started uh, uh, playing 40k in tournaments with my with, with my gaming club. We were doing tournaments with 100 people. We genuinely had a waiting list of 100 people and everyone was fully painted. And really, there was an entire uh, jury of four people that just spent the two days of the tournaments because it would be on Saturday and Sunday to just judge the armies. That was their only job during the whole weekend. Wow. So there's really this 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 uh, promotion of quality painting, quality hobbying, quality conversions, that is very very important uh, in the gaming community of France. So, yes. Yeah, so you know, no, no. I, I was about to say, in every game was like that. Uh, confrontation was a little weird. There was a, a part of the community that didn't paint at all, and the brand uh, Rackham, was not enforcing the paint job at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they also created another complex that people were looking at the cards and the and the, the the art box the box art sorry and they were like i cannot do the same so they were completely paralyzed in front of the rack and miniature so it was another problem that the the brand had at a point so
0: yeah that's, that's certainly an interesting chance for create now I, I know you've been living in the us for for quite a while now but do you find that do you, to your knowledge is is that emphasis on hobbies still true in french miniatures gaming
1: oh yeah 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 definitely they still, they still have uh, this emulation of paint of painters of all levels to get better. They still have, I mean, plus the plus really now the brands are starting to make painting. For example, Games Workshop that did this heavy metal stuff that was really beautiful at that time, but um, sometimes not that great. But they really evolved into our paint jobs are easy to recreate. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're going to show you some amazing stuff at the from time to time, and sure. so I think it helps really uh, again promote quality instead of quantity. So, so yeah, yeah, I think it it still exists in France. Yeah,
0: interesting. Cool. So um, you know, when uh, when Racken kind of eventually collapsed, um, yep. I guess you would, you would, is that where you had met Palo Parente?
1: Uh, I met Paolo at, at Rackham, yeah uh, he was uh, he was um, one of the partners of the company and he was actually in charge of 8043 right uh, because 8043 was basically dust uh, that had been bought by Rackham as a license but Rakam didn't want to to deal with the whole world War II weirdness. and so they wanted a futuristic game so the game was ad- adapted basically into 8043
0: yeah and it's it's which thanks to you is having a, a bit of a, a modern renaissance isn't it <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's very modest but we're working on it yeah no, but it, it has been my my favorite games uh, of all times basically uh i thought that the the design was amazing the game was revolutionary for that time and still endures the the trial of time so it's which cannot be said for many games uh, it, so yeah, I, I'm really, really enthralled with the game. So I lose it's funny. I, I,
0: th- thanks to you, I just bought the uh, the Operation Damocles box set for the second time. Uh, when in fact, <laughs> I think actually we met when you sold me it uh, at New York City Comic Con back in 2007.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> back when I was well, a press ganger back. for Privateer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you you have now sold me that goddamn eighty dollar box set twice, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had to replace it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into that soon. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, we may be talking about forty three later just because, you know, it, it is having a bit of a uh, back from the dead revival in terms of, you know, people getting into the, the old game. Although I, there are rumors it's been sold again. So perhaps we'll see a new version of it from some new publisher. But who knows what will happen
1: there? I hope and I'm very afraid. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, but uh, so... Sort of in, in the in the the dying days of Rackham, and you you had you had met Paolo. Is that how you got involved with uh, with Dust?
1: Oh no, not at all. Um, oh no, okay. <laughs> no, no, okay. actually. Uh, so I left Rackham in uh, mid mid two thousand seven, before really it collapsed completely. Uh, basically, they were lic- they were uh, making people go under the uh, Chapter Eleven uh, procedure. So I left. Uh, and I worked for another company at that time that was a play factory uh, that I actually, uh, that hired me under the recommendation of a former colleague from Rackham, one of the writers of AT43 that was working for them, and at that time they were publishing the French version of Dungeons & Dragons, so the fourth edition, uh, which is my favorite, even though it's very maligned by everyone, Uh, but they, they were looking for another sales rep basically, and there was projects and to, to make the job evolve. So I was like, okay, why not? Uh, I was genuinely at the beach uh, when I received a call to to ask oh. me if I was available for an, uh, for an appointment. And I was like, you know what? I have nothing to do tomorrow. Let me <laughs> hop in the train and go back to Paris for, for a couple of days. So, so yeah, I worked there, but for a very short period of time because really the, the job was going nowhere. So So there was no point in that. Uh, just enough, actually, to allow me to get in touch with Privateer Press at that time, and tell them I, that I would like to be the the official distributor of Monster Apocalypse uh, for for France with sure. that company. And that company was really into that; they really loved the game. The game was great. It was really, it was really, really a great game. So we sold a boatload of it, uh, but that's what i did and then when i left basically uh, the the company really went into a a weird moment Uh, the the bosses were taking money from the company for personal purpose Uh, so it collapsed basically uh, Mm -hmm. pretty pretty fast uh but yeah and then i started as a freelancer so uh, i worked for privateer uh as the quartermaster and and basically sales rep uh, for France, Belgium, uh, so I was selling the products there, and they were shipped directly from the US to to the to the stores. So it was a very very weird and unusual way of conducting business, especially for sure. France, but it worked a little bit. So that was nice. It worked enough to find actually a distributor, uh, a new one that was just starting his uh, their business and i worked as a community manager for them for a little bit uh, but in the meantime i also worked for multiple companies uh, because i was really freelancing so it was always two or three uh, clients at the same time so i worked for a lot of small companies in the industry did a ton of kickstarters uh, at the very beginning of kickstarter
0: oh yeah back in like 2009 10 early days yeah. right yeah. yeah
1: exactly so i i hate kickstarter with a fierce passion yeah <laughs> Uh, I think that it is everything that is wrong in this industry, but it's a very personal comment. So I don't sure. judge. Any, I don't judge anyone for spending the the internal revenue of a small country in it. Um, <laughs> so, and yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, Kickstarter—it's
0: like, a, a complicated beast, right? Because I mean, it, it is allowing a lot of people to make games that otherwise probably would never have gotten made, but uh, it, it creates a lot of other <laughs> weird problems in the supply chain, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, first, uh, I think it it creates a false sense of variety because the games that are released through Kickstarter are not necessarily needed. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's i I appreciate the passion project that is released, and you know, I, and I don't mind big companies going through Kickstarter. I, I, I don't, I'm not one of the guys who says that Kickstarter should be reserved for small companies. That's absolute nonsense. You find a way to sell your product. You sell your products, period. Um, But it's really just that. I mean, I don't want to name names, but when you have the ninth version of Zombicide, uh, do do you really need that? Sure. It creates. I understand the the marketing power, and I I'm actually very uh, appreciative of uh, the idea that you can create demand by yourself because you're so powerful marketing-wise. Uh, in terms of gameplay, in terms of interest, it's just finding plastic and cardboard in your house. And I mean, and then what? So sure. But but, but again, I'm, I'm very particular when it comes to my games. Uh, I play a game. I, I can collect a lot of it, but at the same time, I will play everything. If I don't touch a game for two years, it goes away. Makes sense. I, I do the, the whole, you know, doesn't bring you joy thing, but I've done it for years. Uh, I don't have an unlimited space in my house. Mm-hmm. And so when I don't touch something for, for a couple of years, that means I don't need it and it needs to leave. So it's
0: probably a wise way to keep your collection, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: I don't know if it's wise because then you're in situations where you have to buy back sometimes, but, oh, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in the meantime, I, I declutter a little bit my space and that really doesn't need more clutter.
0: It's fair enough. So you kind of moved from, you were moving into freelancing, you were working on Kickstarters and at, at what point did you get involved with Dust, which has kind of become your life for a long time now? So, yeah.
1: So in 2015, I'm at Gen Con trying to find new customers, new clients. And at a point I meet uh, the, I don't remember his job for Simon, but uh, a former Rackham employee actually, that was the former sales rep for the for the US at a point, and who trained me uh, while I was at Rackham. And he tells me, you know, uh, Paolo is looking for a marketing manager right now because he's getting dust back from whatever publisher is working with. And they're going to need some some help. And I'm like, okay, let's meet. And so I meet Paolo a little bit later on his booth, uh, and we talk. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Uh, I was never a fan of Dust in, a, in its first incarnation. I think that Dust Tactics was a bad game. Uh, so I was like, is the game better now? Because I mean, <laughs> really, genuinely, I'm 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 not I'm not very good with diplomacy, but uh, sure. I I, pre- I prefer to ask honest questions right away. You know, because if I have to work for them, I if yeah. I don't. If I don't even believe in the product, it's going to be a little harder. So So he tells me, well, you know what? It's so good that you should try it now. And Olivier, the creator of the rules, is actually there doing demos. And he gives me a demo. And it was the most exhilarating 10 minutes that I had in my life uh, with the game. And it was really amazing. I I had fun. It was quick. It was lethal. It was everything that I was looking for in a game. So I'm like, okay, I'm convinced. And we started working like that. Uh, So I became the marketing manager for Dust Studio, the Chinese company. Uh, And we were supposed to go to Gamma, uh, which is the Game Manufacturer Association uh, Expo, basically, where Mm -hmm. it's a a B2B uh, convention where you try to convince distributor to get your product, to to get your products uh, and, and see what the competition does, basically. So we were at Gamma, and I'm having this conversation with retailers, with distributors, and all of them say, wow, if we have to buy from China, it's a no. Uh, Try to find it from the U.S., and these kind of things. And we're having this delicious Cuban sandwich with uh, Paolo and Alicia, and he looks at us and he says, what about opening Dust USA, uh, a distribution company for for the U.S., because the distributors won't uh, take care of my product properly. Uh, He had already experience with it. And he says, "I'd rather go slow and and sturdy than than go fast and having to find someone else in two years again." Sure. And we agreed. Uh, I, Alicia looked at me, said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm game." So we started that really like that. We started a distribution company, and we started going on on shows. We started selling the product to retailers. We starting we started uh, really promoting the game everywhere. So. And it's been like that for five years now. Well, wow. almost almost six. So yeah.
0: And, and to course, Alicia's your wife, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I know that, but not everybody listening does. I think I think it's pretty cool. You know, you're 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 doing this this serious ventures game hobby industry stuff uh, with your spouse. How's that working out? And she's she's a very important part of the company, isn't she?
1: She's fundamental to the company because she brings everything that this industry is missing right now, uh, a fresh eye and also a, a very a very healthy dose of um, inclusion mm-hmm. and inclusivity. Uh, Basically, while I was uh, working and walking the show at Gen Con or Origins to find clients, my wife was right behind me, uh, helping me with uh, giving business cards, uh, talking and this kind of things. And she kept basically saying every time that she was considered like less than me. Uh, She was talked to in a very dismissive manner. Uh, she was not treated treated right, basically by the by the industry, uh, with very few exceptions. Uh, actually, she told told me that I should work with, uh, with Paolo because genuinely Paolo treated her right that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were walking in the street, and at a point, he he was the first one who genuinely waited for her before crossing the street instead of just crossing the street and hoping that we would follow. Sure. So it was really, really very different. So. So, yeah, she, she's really, I mean, for Dust USA, she's really bringing that. She's bringing this fresh eye, uh, these fresh ideas, and really the, the, the will to basically promote the game to non usual gamers. So, may it be kids, younger kids, uh, may it be women, uh, mm-hmm. may it be minorities also, because it's really, um, I mean, uh, again we are discovering the world but the industry is kind of racist also so sure. so thoughts. yeah yeah and and really right now it's finally exploding uh, as it should have done for a long time so yeah we're trying to to work around that and to basically find new ideas to make people understand that yes we are a niche game and it's we are even in a niche of a niche because the the diesel punk weird world war two game inside the miniature industry is still a niche, uh, and the miniature industry is a niche in the gaming industry. But uh, we are welcoming everyone, so we have set up some partnerships with uh, associations for gamers and gay with the uh, uh, and these kind of things because really she wanted to promote this safe environment uh, this this inclusivity of everyone. Uh, Basically, uh, (laughs) Gamma, the the association, has now a new model that is a a game on every table and a table for everyone. That's a great model. It is, but we've been doing it for Dust since the beginning, basically. Sure. And it works. So uh, statistically speaking, I mean, the numbers are are making sense. Uh, We have more women. We have more families playing together. Uh, and that's really the, the principle of it. We want everyone to be able to love the game the way they want. So,
0: No, I think that's really commendable. You know, I, I, should have, I should have Alicia on sometime as well. I want to talk about Rackham and all of your other stuff you've been doing, but she'd be a great guest to speak to. I'd love to get her perspective sometime.
1: Mm-hmm. That would be great, yeah.
0: Yeah, but uh, in the meantime, so you started working at Rackham and then you kind of, you're sort of Rackham North America. I'm sorry, you started working with Dust 1947 and now you're sort of Dust North America. Um, What is it about Dust that really excites you? Is is it the setting and the gameplay? What are are your favorite parts of it? Uh,
1: The quality of the miniatures, the fact that it plays on a grid, uh, and the ease of access of the game. So basically, the miniatures are, uh, you can buy them all fully painted, or you can buy but they are already put together anyway, even if you want to paint them yourself, so that really, you open the box, it's ready to play. Uh, And that's genuinely the name of the product. Uh, but it's also the fact that you play on the grid. Um, measuring with the tape measure, it's fine. Uh, I played multiple games like that that I really enjoy, like War Machine, for example. Uh, but at the same time, uh, for the game that Dust is, it makes it extremely fast and extremely easy to understand. And I like this, I like this game that basically presents it- itself as, a, as an appetizer. And can be a full meal just because you increase the size of the game and you play scenarios that are more and more complex. But you can really scale the game at your brain level. And not because you're dumb or, or clever, but because you're more or less tired at the end of the day. Sure, yeah. And that's really that. that The game was created by Paolo and Olivier because they they genuinely said out loud, we are old, we are tired at the end of the day, but we want to play with beautiful miniatures. Let's do that. And that's really the idea to put the two mats on the, on the kitchen table, play for 15 minutes if you want to play with two starter sets or play for an hour and a half because you have a little bit more time and then you are done with it. You fold and you play You play again tomorrow because it's super easy to, again, take back from the, from the box and set up. So that was really the, the principle of the game and that's really what I enjoyed with it.
0: Yeah, I I do appreciate how accessible the game is in all levels. You know, because e- even when you buy the unpainted figures, they're still they still been primed and they often have a couple decals on them. Or I, yeah. I know, the, the decals are like little pre painted symbols. I'm not quite sure what the difference was, but uh...
1: so they have decals. Uh, these are decals. Uh, and they are they would used to be primed, they are not primed anymore now. They are uh, just put together. The plastic is bare, but it's it's a colored plastic so that you can recognize oh, your sure. right away. But people kept asking for non primed miniature basically because they wanted to reprime them themselves. So, well,
0: that makes sense. Uh, the, the kids are great quality, you know. Um, I have, I have a little Spetsnaz army for uh for Dust 1947, which you know, mm-hmm. I was hoping to play it this is- year, but then we had a pandemic, uh, yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah, unfortunately, my, my only experience playing was I, I got a demo at GenCon 2019, and uh, yep. that's when I got that, that starter from you. It um, mm-hmm. was really cool, and then I haven't had a chance to play because nobody's playing anything anymore. But yeah. <laughs> Rift R- 2020,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, but uh, I, I I I'm really impressed with all the support you guys have for Dust. Um, it, it ticks so many of the boxes that I like in miniatures gaming, in that you know you have the, the strong faction identities. You have ongoing campaign support. I think that's really cool. You know, you have online campaigns and stuff. You're, you're giving out missions and scenarios on a regular basis, and
1: um, yep.
0: it's it's just it's 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 everything I like out of a miniature game. I can't wait to get the chance to actually play it properly.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: uh, but for yourself, do you do you have a favorite faction in the in the game?
1: I have two actually. Uh, my my absolute my first favorite was the Allies. Uh, I love the Rangers. Uh, the heavy rangers, to be precise. Uh, I like that these guys fly in heavy armor and punch stuff. Uh, that that amuses me a lot. Uh, sure. I'm a huge fan of all their walkers because they really look like the old tanks uh, from that time, but on legs. So that yeah. makes that makes it really flavorful to me. Uh, but now my new love is definitely Cthulhu. Uh,
0: yeah, those are cool.
1: Oh yeah, uh, these are really amazing miniatures and it's so much fun to just get on the table, stomp stuff and and at a point realize that you lost all your cultists so you cannot win on the scenario anymore. So you lost the game, but you're still stomping stuff. Sure. And <laughs> it's great. Really, it's, 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 it's just a good stress reliever at the end of the day, basically. So yeah. Yeah, that's, I've, that's, I've, I've, go ahead. No, no, go on, go. on.
0: Oh, I just—I've got a, a small pile of those Cthulhu cultist models myself. I'm looking forward to painting them up sometime soon.
1: I'm looking forward for to seeing here. that.
0: Yeah, they're—they're <laughs> they're, they're pretty sweet. I—I I, um, I also like, you know, how you, you see, the game balls still well supported. You have regular models coming out, even with the pandemic going on, which I'm sure had its own um, challenges for getting stuff out. But it seems like you're really oh, yeah. starting to kind of right the boat on that, huh?
1: Yeah, t- 2020 was was really harsh. Uh, really, really harsh. Uh, plus, it was uh, it happened at a time where we were actually moving the factory, also. Oh wow! Um, because China is fun like that. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it basically it piled up a little bit. So we had a, a pause basically in our releases for a while because it didn't make sense to try to ship anything that wouldn't arrive. Uh, not that it arrives faster now because now we still have some issues with customs, but and and the fact that there's no container anywhere, but it's an, a whole other story. Right. Uh, one day, we'll talk about the industrial part of, of making miniatures. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, the now we have actually released some new miniatures uh, the past two months. And the next ones are going to be in May, normally, if I receive my shipment on time. Uh, so May to August, we already uh, previewed everything on our websites and, and Facebook pages. So... It's exciting. It's very exciting. It's going to be a, a huge onslaught of of new releases that are really, really necessary for all the armies uh, and very useful and magnificent. I mean, really, the the IGN headquarters, for example, with the five heroes in it, it's just amazing. The the new cultists are very beautiful. The the new monster is my absolute favorite. Uh, what one of our Game is actually called the Murder Cactus. Is
0: that the uh, uh, the Dark Young?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it is. I mean, and and industrially speaking, it's something that people won't see. But uh, Dust uh, makes games for other companies also. Uh, oh, that's, interesting. That's actually the the core of their industry is to make games for other other companies, and so they are plastic manufacturers, and they are very 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 good at it. Uh, They have been doing it for so long that really they were the ones making 8043 back in the days, but now they are working on dust. And when you see some dust miniatures, even the ones that are uh, less uh, extravagant in their appearance, there are some stuff that are amazing technologically speaking. So, the, the PT 47, for example, which is this little transport for, for the, the SSU, so for the Spetsnaz or the PLA, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a vehicle that normally would take like a ton of molds, a ton of drawers and stuff. And because they used a mold that instead of uh, opening and closing like a, you know, uh, like in two parts up and down, it actually opens like a flower.
0: Oh, and, interesting.
1: And that allowed the vehicle to be done in one piece. instead of of several. But that's, again, that's technologically amazing. Uh, The Dark Young, for example, instead of doing several parts that go on top of each other, it's actually uh, concentric circles. So so that that allowed them to make molds that were flatter. So they managed to put the whole miniature despite the number of detail in one mold and still have some room in it. So that saved money, but also saved space. So really, I mean, And this is the kind of stuff that is super exciting when you get to visit the the factory, for example, is that you see this kind of stuff. And for them, it seems completely natural, except the engineer that is like jumping everywhere because he's like, look at that, look at that. And generally, (laughs) he's running through the whole factory and says, look at that. And he's showing stuff. And and everyone nods, pretending to understand what he's saying. But he's the only (laughs) one being super excited about a copper template that has this size and this this configuration. Sure. cool dude (laughs) (laughs) but but it's really that it's I mean the 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 giant uh, the giant ship that was made for Armada for by FFG the uh, for uh, Star Wars Armada. Mm -hmm. they made this giant giant uh, uh, Star Destroyer I remember that Uh, yeah yeah so I was actually in China when they were making it and the engineer couldn't I mean he was he was even more bouncy, he was than than before because he was super excited. Normally, for a vehicle of of a normal size, let's say a, a dreadnought, for example, or this kind of size, okay, you would need a fifteen to twenty co- uh, uh, copper templates to to basically hit the mold uh, with a, an electric current in a ba- in a in a bath of acid to to dig through the metal, you know, and uh-huh. shape it the way you want. For the Star Destroyer, they created 200 different copper templates. Wow! So, industrially speaking, it was insane. Yeah, <laughs> it like... was ge- it was genuinely insane, and that's the reason why the thing is so detailed, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's meant for a, a scale that is where details are less important. Yeah, but it's it's really because the thing was so big, they really wanted it detailed. So, sure. so yeah, it was it was super exciting to see. Uh, you see these guys that are in flip-flops and, t- and t-shirts with holes everywhere and they are next to a, a giant bath of acid uh, mm-hmm. through which runs electric current. Uh, there's water on the floor by the way
0: and uh, yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and they have this this uh, co- this metal temp- this metal mold inside that is hit by uh, copper templates that are basically hammering on it uh, at uh, ultra speed while the current hits the metal at the same time to create basically the to, Genuinely divide the molecules one by one. Wow! So, I mean, really, it's I mean, I've seen stuff. I mean, we posted it on on our Facebook page, Dust USA, uh, because the videos were insane. I mean, yeah. insane. that's really
0: so, cool. Uh, um, it was really... So, I just I we should maybe talk a little bit about just give a quick description of what Dust nineteen forty seven is as a game. You know, what what is the setting and the gameplay like in just a, a couple sentences, or however short one you want to take, just so we, people know what we're talking about.
1: You are in 1947, and the Second World War never ended. Uh, in 1939, they found a source of power called the VK, uh, the real culture from an alien origin, uh, and that changed the face of the war, basically. Uh, Hitler got killed uh, by one of his own snipers during a parade, uh, and the new power uh, of Germany, uh, the Blutkreutz, is actually uh, trying to convince everyone that they are the good guys uh, because they know that the aliens are coming back to destroy everyone Uh, because they have awakened something that should have kept asleep basically Uh, in the meantime you have factions so you have the allies that try to save the world in the name of freedom and democracy Uh, you have the ssu that try to save the world in the name of collectivism and freedom (laughs) <laughs> but and you have the IGN, uh, which is the Japanese Navy that uh, seceded from the Axis uh, because they thought that the Emperor of Japan was too weak and are trying to replace him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, at the at the fall of 1947, you have the cultists of the mythos that are popping out from everywhere and trying to destroy the whole world uh, as heralds of their masters. So. Awesome. This is the situation. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> and Everything all sections
0: are. Yeah, it, it, I really like what I've seen of it so far. Um, and uh, so what? So you were talking about some new models, what, what is the future of Dust that you can talk about?
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> the future of Dust. Um, well, we have the the Vril that are supposed to be released. Uh, so we have started talking about them in two thousand eighteen. Uh, but we had to delay them for various reasons. Uh, so now it's going to be 2022, uh, Christmas 2022. Uh, the army will be playable right out of the of the release because we're going to release the starter set, the army so box, army. The, HQ, the HQ box, so the whole thing at once. A uh, whole new army, very different because the whole game is diesel punk, but for the real, uh, Walkers, for example, are a technology of the past so they actually don't use walkers anymore they use anti-grav technology so they're going to have a lot of flyers for their vehicles they've kind uh, of got like
0: a like an atomic age flying saucer aliens vibe right
1: that's exactly that it's yeah. very atom atom punk actually so so yeah they're they're going to have uh, it's a confederation of 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 various planets so they have various Species that are that are going to be fighting together. So you're going to have margin uh, margin apes, for example, with four arms. Uh, you're going to have uh, these uh, these leaders that are all women, uh, very uh, Barbarella style, you know. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, they are they are the leaders, basically the four leaders of the real of the real nation. Uh, their guns are going to be uh, atomic guns, so they're going to use nuclear power to to shoot basically. So yeah, it's. I mean, it creates some. You are going to have some uh, some genuine little grey guys, you know, like uh, sure. Area Fifty One. You are going to have also orcs, um, orc types, but not the not the the long face orc that you are used to, the, the short face like uh, uh from the Lord of the Rings, but in uh, space armor with heavy weaponry and this kind of thing. So it's awesome. very very mixed, very very varied. It's very exciting. So
0: that's pretty cool. I I love how it's sort of really amps up the pulp feel of Dust oh, in yeah. general. Like I, I'm okay. excited to see you know a bunch of Cthulhu cultists fighting you know aliens and flying saucers. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly that. <laughs> that's just amazing to me.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it is very uh, the the whole universe of Dust is very interesting uh, because the, you're in 1947 right now. But normally there are three periods of time for Dust: uh, 1947, the first contact. Oh, well, I should say the first. Yeah. The first contact with the Vril where they come to Earth and try to destroy everything, 1963 where the Vril are actually uh, leaving Earth, and 1984 where the Vril uh, where the, the the Earth is taking the fight to the Vril in space. So, there's a there's a whole history basically that is developed like that and I know that Olivier has some plans to release basically a game for each era. At oh, that's cool. So yeah.
0: you you kind of done some like campaign uh, books that kind of tell those stories that you can play along with?
1: Yes. Yeah, every year, well, every year except 2020, sure. <laughs> uh, we, we release a, a campaign book uh, with new profiles, new platoons, and also a, an evolution of the story. So the story evolves very slowly because from the first book that is Condor from the past trilogy to the last book that was uh, Paradise Lost, for example, uh, you only went from June to September, so it's it still happens in a very short amount of time sure. in the same year. But for example, downfall, the next book, uh, happens uh, almost at Christmas. So we're gonna definitely be on the verge of 1948. So um, yeah, the the storyline evolves. Uh, heroes, some heroes die actually. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Some heroes change faction also uh, because some of them are, are traitors or double agents or just change because they have a change of mind. So they need to fight according to their beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, it's uh, I mean, you have characters, for example, uh, Sigrid, the head of the Blutkreutz. Uh, at the very beginning of the game, when when it was still Dust Tactics, she was basically the leader of, of a base in Antarctica. Uh, the Blutkreutz was led by her dad, and she was basically in a garage way down there not doing much uh, trying to put some apes in a in a space shuttle to see if they could explore the moon as one does uh, exactly <laughs> uh, and then and then uh, <laughs> torturing uh, an alien that she, that she just found in the ice uh, to 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 get some secrets about technology but i mean you know a, a regular tuesday Right, <laughs> But now she's actually the leader of the whole uh, Axis because uh, with the, with the uh, advent of the cultist movement, they have destroyed and killed all the leaders of the free world and, and even the other ones. So, for example, Stalin just got killed. Uh, the, all the, the, the hexagon, which is the dust uh, version of the Pentagon, for example, has been completely razed to the ground by the cultists. Uh-huh. Uh so actually the highest ranking uh, officer now in the whole army of the allies is actually uh, Bazooka Joe, who's just a, a commandant a commander so <laughs> so he becomes he beca- exactly so he becomes the 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 chief of staff basically so yeah it's it's very i mean the the world moves a lot like that so it's it's pretty entertaining to, to That's really cool And the funny thing is that our online campaign allows people to actually do that themselves because uh, the result of the campaign makes us change the storyline, not in major ways. But for example, uh, that's where we had some people, some heroes that uh, changed factions and went to another faction. So sometimes it it goes in another faction in the same block. So that happened for Action Jackson. That was a British, uh, British soldier that became a desert scorpion. Uh, But now uh, it also happens to other heroes like uh, the priest who was an allied spy and who happened to become an IGN spy. Interesting. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: That's really fun. I think it's really cool. You've released some, uh, some solo scenarios too, haven't you for this past year? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 2020 made us actually uh, ramp up a little bit our offer on that. Uh, I'm lucky enough that I have a lot of volunteers, uh, all across the USA and some of them are very, very imaginative when it comes to scenarios. Uh, and so I worked with people like the Bolter Club in Wisconsin or Monkey uh, in Toledo or uh, Brian in New York, uh, Nate in Georgia, and they they all have created scenarios and some of them could really fit in solo scenarios. Mm-hmm. And so we published a couple of them. Uh, more than a couple actually uh, half a dozen i would say uh, on our website uh, because we really wanted people to be able to play at home even when they don't have their favorite buddies to, well, to us sure. so it was actually very successful it was the the leading downloads on our on our website for several months i think yeah, people bet. really really enjoyed uh, this kind of this kind of content and we're going to have we're going to offer more soon we have actually a, a new bunch of scenarios that have been playtested and Validated, so we're going to be able to to have some fun.
0: Very cool, and all all this stuff's free just by uh, getting the uh, the Dust nineteen forty seven email list, right?
1: The only thing that we sell are uh, basically the cards, the books, and the miniatures. The scenarios are always free. The app uh, that we have for iPhone, for iOS or Android, is free. Uh, It's because we are here to sell miniatures, basically, not uh, marketing tools around it.
0: Yeah, no, that, that app is really cool too. I've, I've used that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, It has a fun story. Also, we had a, an intern for a summer, but the guy is so brilliant. Uh, we had I had two projects with him, and he he was really able to identify quick that the second one was longer, so wouldn't be possible. But the first one, he said, "Yeah, the app, I can do it." And he genuinely created an app by himself in one summer. Yeah, it looks great too. Uh, yeah, he really understood the game. He really understood the universe, and he really created an app that is really what our universe is. And that's that was amazing because really I was in charge of, you know, managing him. I didn't do anything. It was wow. every that's every great. end of week. Yeah, every end of yeah. week. Basically, I was like, Did you? Uh, what is your? What is on your checklist? He says, I had to do that. Did you do it? Yes. Okay. See you next week. Yeah, <laughs> really, it was genuinely that, awesome. and so yes. it was fantastic. And we are still working with this app. Uh, now it's updated by uh, actually a uh, Jim, uh, friend of mine, and one of our patriots, and he's updating that regularly every month, almost. So, very cool. Super easy so, to deal with.
0: Yeah. So, uh, before I let you go, I just want to talk about the most relevant and important thing we can possibly talk about, and that's playing old games of eighteen forty-three. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah you, you've, you've got a bunch of us buying old products off of, off of websites and stuff. And maybe maybe we're going to have a little AT43 meetup at Adepticon 2022?
1: I, I, I'm definitely uh, starting to prep for it. Awesome. Uh, I, I'm really, really genuinely prepping for it. Uh, we will probably play the Frostbite campaign, but we will play it in a in an adjusted manner because the Frostbite campaign was for four armies. Because mm-hmm. that's what they had at that time. But uh, it's really super easy to adapt for six. So I'm going to adapt it for all the armies and we will play the Frostback campaign for, for a whole day and it's going to be amazing.
0: Awesome. I can't so wait.
1: It, it is very exciting. Um, I went back in, deep into the rabbit hole recently uh, because it's a game that I had to uh, basically give away when I left France uh actually i had to give away before because when Rackham went down they forgot to pay us our paychecks Oof. so so i had to separate myself from all my collection of miniatures at a point uh, but it was a lot of pasta and a lot of ramen uh, in my life yeah but <laughs> but yeah it's uh so i was i always regretted to to not have this game anymore so yeah i i'm i'm very very happy with it it's uh the miniatures really are really looking good even for the for the age uh and i'm very happy with that so we're gonna have a lot of fun it's gonna be uh, heavily scenerized it's gonna be very fast-paced fun and we're gonna have some pretty tables i think so
0: yeah i'm stoked to play that game with you with you and everybody else but i'm gonna let you go but again gregoire thank you for coming if you're listening and you want to check out dust 1947 go to uh what is it? dustusa.com in the us
1: dustusa.com yeah that's the best
0: yeah and if you're a full member of the brush union uh check your messages when you joined or some of our older patreon posts and you'll find a uh, code there for a discount for all their products through the web store and uh, thanks again for partnering with us on that
1: oh really my pleasure as i told you i really believe in the union so it's pretty cool
0: thanks man all right well i'll let you go and uh thanks for guard hopefully we will talk to you soon hopefully we'll get a game of dust before too long hell yeah <laughs> The Brushwilders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brushwilders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushwildersunion.com.